0: You're listening to The Product Edge, and I'm Jade Bennett, Australia's leading product management recruitment expert, founder of Middleton Executive, and a professional development and mindset coach. In this podcast, I take you on a journey into the minds of exceptional product leaders, entrepreneurs, creators, and hustlers. In each episode, I introduce you to experts in their field and my mission is to help every product professional level up and reach their full potential by providing you with the skills, insights and tools that you need to excel in your career and gain your product edge. Joining me today is Phil Luffenberg. Phil is the CPO at Precterra, Australia's leading experiential learning technology startup, and he's also a product management trainer with our good friends at BrainMates. Phil is passionate about education, innovation, and the future of work, and has led the ideation, design, and development of multiple award-winning education technology products. Welcome to the Product Edge, Phil.
1: Thank you very much, and thanks for having me.
0: Fantastic. How are you today? You're in Berlin, I believe?
1: Yes, Berlin right now. It's a, it's a nice and brisk winter, winter day, near winter day here, so I'm a bit envious of the, the beach and the summer that you have over there in Australia. I'll be a- back soon.
0: Absolutely. And um, restrictions are starting to ease, so we may even get to enjoy some of the, the nice weather and the beaches that we have.
1: So, we wish it to you and staying healthy.
0: <laughs> Fantastic. So, Phil, before we jump into it, can you tell us a little bit about yourself?
1: Of course, happy to. Um, so, after um, founding a few successful and not so successful businesses in Germany, I came to Australia about seven years ago to join uh, Pactera's mission to power um, skills, careers, and life opportunities through experiential learning. So, basically, for the last Seven years I've helped educators around the world to deliver better learning outcomes um, and to prepare their students and professionals for the future of work. I'm also part of the BrainMate team, as you've mentioned, and um, as a trainer there, I have the privilege to help um, advance the professional practice of product management and, and shape the next generation of product superheroes, really, um, which is, which is awesome.
0: Amazing. So look for those of, um, of those people that haven't heard of Practera before, who are they? What do they do? And what is experiential learning?
1: Yeah, experiential learning is basically a description of the way um, we learn from experience. And we all learn best from experience. We have done that as humans for the last couple of hundred thousand years. And um, we want to bring that back into the classrooms to help people develop the skills they need to be successful in the 21st century. And we do that by uh, creating technology that helps educators um, predominantly universities, higher education, um, but also branching into other um, education institutions to set up experiential learning programs such as business projects or internships, mentoring programs, accelerators um, to get students into the context of applying the theoretical knowledge and um, building the skills that they need to succeed.
0: Fantastic. So Phil, we were talking offline and you said to me that continuous development is going to be mandatory for all of us to stay relevant and ultimately have successful careers going forward. So let's break that down a little bit. What does it mean to be a lifelong learner?
1: Yeah, to me, Continuous development in general um, is just an explanation or, or a way of talking about an ongoing iterative approach to achieve better results. We, as product managers, know continuous development from the software products we manage. And I think the same principles apply to lifelong learning. So, being a lifelong learner basically allows you to continuously develop your own skill set and to remain relevant um, in, in the coming years and decades. Pretty much what does it mean to be a lifelong learner means that you have four core critical skills that you can use, um, which are curiosity, critical thinking, adaptability, and most importantly, active learning, which is the ability to learn by doing and reflect on these experiences.
0: Fantastic. And um, I attended an an industry trends webinar with SEEK recently, and they shared some data that during this pandemic, around 40% of people that they questioned had talked about upskilling during the pandemic, which I thought was an amazing stat and, and really high. Are you seeing similar trends
1: I do indeed I think in general it's a trend that has developed in the um, in the last years already and is um, now being catalyzed by the pandemic that we're in um, also according to the World Economic Forum who predicts or who estimates that even by 2022 there will be more than 100 million new jobs that could be re- uh, created by the fourth industrial revolution that we, that we found ourselves in. So as a result, of course, we are in the middle of a global reskilling, upskilling um, trend, and um, therefore we see those yeah, more people looking to upskill themselves, um, and and using LinkedIn or or many of the other um, programs. Also, the universities that we are working with seeing increased demand in upskilling, reskilling of workforce um, from from corporates.
0: Amazing. And um, what would be sort of the core areas that you're seeing that people are upskilling in?
1: Core areas, I definitely see digital skills. Um, I believe that we're going into into a world that is um, a lot more digital um, (laughs) to remain relevant. There are core digital trends and technologies that companies and corporate businesses want to or plan to adapt in the next four to six um, years. And I see a lot of upskilling in these areas. So data data analytics and science, knowing how to um, how to program um, simple things. I think these are all kinds of skills that are um, really interesting right now. And, and looking at stats from Coursera, for example, these the top their um, their highlight courses um, year after year
0: absolutely i was just having a conversation with my husband the other day and we were talking about coding and you know software development and potentially you know children of the future it'll be something that everyone has a skill set to do. Um, You know, I tried building a website for the product edge and um, I outsourced it to a developer and it was probably one of the most stressful experiences of my life, (laughs) building a simple website for this this podcast. But I think, um, as you said, you know, digital skills are becoming mandatory and future generations, it'll just be a skill that they learn in school and everyone can put together a website.
1: I'm, I'm pretty sure. And uh, a lot of the, the stigma around programming, software development, I think coming from that area, it's, I think, a magic black box that once you go into, once you look into the basics, I think there, uh, it doesn't take too much time to, to take that fear away and, and making it look like something that only magicians can do. Mm-hmm. I, I firmly believe that um, every child can start learning to program and I also believe, um, additionally to what I've, what I've said before, the di- digital skills, there are soft skills and technical skills that, of course, make up the whole portfolio of skills that we need to build. And focusing on a digital skills like programming helps to develop critical soft skills as well. Because the, the way you program, the way your brain works, and, and maybe you have experienced the same thing as you started to um, to build your website, um, it's a way of thinking, of critical thinking, of complex problem solving that you apply every time you, you touch code, basically. And um, I think there, there's a lot of value in just learning programming, even though you might not want to become a programmer or a software developer or an engineer, but the the soft skills that come with them that will help you throughout your entire career.
0: Absolutely. And that's a really interesting one that um, I wasn't going to jump into, but as you've brought it up, I, I, I will. The, there's a hot debate um, going on at the moment in product management regarding how technical product folk should be. You have your, you know, your high-growth tech unicorns that are typically looking for ex-developers turn product management. And if you t- talk to Adrian or Nick from BrainMate, you know, they're, they're passionate that product people should really be more business-focused. Where do you sit on that one?
1: I, yeah, it's always a hot debate. <laughs> I, I tend to side with the business side of things, um, <laughs> but that doesn't mean I would exclude technical um, abilities at all. So as I said before, I don't think it's hard to get to a state where you know the basics, you know how to think about um, software, think about technology, and I think it's, there's no excuse really not to. So if you have a product manager who is very um, yeah, well-skilled in the business side, um, getting to a point technically where you can, um, where you can understand how to work together better with your engineers. I think that's a critical um, skill that you should develop as a as a successful product manager. By no means does that mean that you have to write code. Um, that is a, a split a cross functional team. Each function brings their own skills, expertise, and responsibilities to the team, and um, But as a product manager, we are at the center of managing and leading these cross-functional teams. So the same applies to design, user experience, which every product manager, I believe, should upskill in um, to a a certain degree um, to technology and then also the the business side. But I, I tend to agree, I think the most important bit for a product manager is to understand the business side so that the responsibility of viability and desirability um, and and the prioritization of what to focus on next um, is given as a solid um, business case behind it. Because I also believe the the biggest mistake we can do is give great engineers the wrong problems to solve (laughs) because that is the most costly mistake um, that we can do.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. And I think it's interesting you talk about digital skill set and you included the, the soft skills within that because I think oftentimes soft skills can be overlooked regardless of whether it's product management or, or engineering. They look at the, the craftsman skills sometimes um, to the detriment of, of the soft skills. What do you think are the, the soft skills that people really need to, to be developing sort of going forward in this digital space?
1: I think the most important soft skills, additionally to the ones I've mentioned, and and very much in line with what the World Economic Forum also um, has has put out, there's there's a set of of skills that will help you, independent of which job you're in, um, which stage of your career you're in. And the most important ones, I think, are general analytical thinking, um, active learning, probably one of, if not the most important one, so that you can um, you, you can adapt to what's coming. We, it's an ever-changing world. We don't know what skills will be necessary in five, in 10 years, in 15, 15 years. But if we're really strong in, in active learning and, and know how to um, extract learning from all the day-to-day experiences that we have, um, we can be more confident. That we will be able to learn whatever it is that we need to. We need to, with that complex problem-solving, leadership, um, a general um, feeling of curiosity. I think is super important, and then um, less technical, um, especially collaboration, um, critical thinking, emotional intelligence. So the human skills, I believe. Um, will become more and more important as the as the digital side and technology evolves to take away a lot of the technical stuff. I believe um, the human element will be uh, will become much more important, which I'm excited about and then look forward to.
0: Absolutely, and, and I think that's. Um... As you're saying that, I start to think about other industries and, um, you know, I, ha- I have a master's in HR and when I was practicing HR in the UK, to be an accredited HR practitioner, you had to do continuous professional development and you'd have to log um, entries, a certain number of entries with the, with the body every year. And um, my husband's a chartered accountant and he has to do a certain amount every year as well to to stay accredited. Do you think um, technology and the digital space will, will move to something like that to make sure that people are investing in their own professional development?
1: I think yes, <laughs> but it will not be the main driver. I think the, the concept of professional peak bodies um, is great and it's also something that I think is, is missing or lacking in the product management space. And I'm looking forward to um, to the the day where um, we will establish something that helps us understanding what are the skills that we should develop um, and and keep updated on this. I also believe that the purpose or what what, what that does, um, if we think about the concept of a a peak body, it's an an organization who did the work of going beyond the job description or beyond the title and analyzed and found out what are the actual skills that need to be um, acquired by a person um, who's successful in that job. And I think um, that technology will help make that uh, more accessible to not only peak bodies, but also um, companies. When we look at, I think it's a very recent report that came out that the number one, Um, challenge for HR leaders to digital transformation is the lack of visibility, which skills are actually available in their own organization. And they are not a pig buddy, they are their organization with their context. And I think technology will help to, to move from jobs to skills, and then advance the skills mobility, workforce mobility, and, um, and, and lets us or organisations focus more on the skills that are needed um, and, and develop these.
0: Agreed. And I see that a lot with, um, with hiring, you know, running a recruitment company, Middleton Executive. Quite often when we're working with our clients, they talk about if someone moves on, just replacing like for like role or we need a, a developer or a product manager or BA. But oftentimes we're like, okay, well, what are, the, you know, let's start looking at the skills that are, Missing in the organisation, and let's not just always have this um, one size fits all. This is what we need from our product people. This is what we need from our devs. We need to start looking at skills as opposed to to, to job titles. You you talk a lot about active learning, and I'm thinking about you know people that might be earlier on in their career, and um, and they're thinking, okay, I want to be an active learner. Do you have any tips on how people can become? active learners and, and what that looks like for them?
1: Yes, happy, happy to share um, some of the practices that we not only include in, in the products we build to help facilitating that experiential learning loop that happens, um, but also that I'm ex- yeah, exploring and using myself every single day.
0: That would be amazing. The
1: key, yeah, the, the key to become an, an active learner and and Um, and making sure to stay an active learner as you move along your, um, your career is to understand the value of experiences. And that means leaving that mindset at the door that says training and learning and education is the one thing and work is the other thing. So when you're in the workforce, you started your career, training and learning doesn't happen when you go to a seminar for a day or over the weekend. Um, It it may or may not, but it happens every day at work, in every project, in every email that you send that may or may not work out as you intend. Um, Understanding that concept of doing something. And whenever you do something, you have an idea or a hypothesis of what that achieves and to become an active learner you then need to be aware that there is an opportunity to reflect on these things and that's hard because reflection takes time we're all busy Um, but if you carve out that little bit of time to review your initial hypothesis And understand whenever something didn't work out as you expected, that's where learning happens. That's where you improve your skills. And to make it more focused and outcome driven, you can define a few skills that you find important to learn next. And look for situations where you have applied those skills in your everyday work. And then reflect on these it doesn't take a lot of time I think on there was a, a research just recently that the average time of screen the streaming content is eight hours a day in, in America per person right now wow take 15 minutes out of the out of the eight hours of Netflixing and <laughs> um, and you will accelerate your your active learning um skill massively
0: wow that's uh, eight hours of streaming blows my mind <laughs> That's a that's yeah,
1: I, a lot. I haven't seen the, the raw data. It, it sounds um, sounds extensive, um, but yeah, the p- pandemic probably helped with that.
0: Yes, I'm sure it did. I'm sure. So with that, um, learning so much from doing your job and, um, and and being in work, how do you think the pandemic and everyone being remote has impacted people's learning because I certainly remember early on in my career back in the UK when I first got into recruitment and even when I then moved into HR I learned so much from observing people around me and you know what success looks like and copying their habits their rituals and um, you know how they went about their day because I believe success leaves clues and, and you can you know see what other people are doing. How do you think that's impacting active learning now that we're all distributed and remote?
1: That's a good question. I think we are social beings and we thrive from learning or thrive when learning from others in in general. So being co-located facilitates a lot of this this ad hoc informal learning that happens Mm -hmm. organically. Like a, a tap on the shoulder or a conversation at the water cooler or simple things like a big sigh when you're stuck with something um, that triggers a sudden, hey, what's up, from the desk next to you. These elements are um, don't happen organically anymore in, in this remote um, environment. But I do think that the adaptability then comes back in, in play. And we understand that it is important to learn from each other. We, we thrive when learning from each other. So there are other methods and, and mechanics to, to be more proactive about that. You, going back to, the, to being an active learner and setting some, some skills that you want to advance, you can find role models in your company um, or in your circle of, of, of the network, professional network, and ask them if they um, agree to meet up in, yeah, or, or frequently. Um, a lot of people like helping each other um, in, in a mentorship or even coaching um, yeah, relationship. So that, that is one change I think we will see more and more, which of course technology helps with as well. I also think that a lot of the products that cater for, um, for upskilling will we'll move in that direction as well. So looking at Practera, we have seen a surge in demand for these kinds of mentoring um, digital mentoring um, programs, which work really well because it, it lets you deploy this experiential learning loop where you do something and then you get feedback from someone that you respect and who's an expert um, in the field, which helps you with the progressive mastery of whatever skill you, um, you decided to, to learn um but it will require initiative it will require um, more work up front to 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 get that feedback to connect with the people um, to to communicate with our co-workers but I do believe that we will adapt and that will become part of the the new normal as <laughs> the buzzword now goes
0: I completely agree with that I know on a personal level you know pre COVID, I started this year uber confident and had all these plans for the business and and growth and then COVID came along and and changed all that overnight and um, it it prompted me to to look at my own learning and and where I was at in my leadership journey and and building a company and I've gone out and sought two coaches, um, one via the Tony Robbins group and another which is a sales training, ethical training, coaching company. And, and it's just been amazing having external coaches and, and mentors that have, you know, so much experience to, to share. And, and it does take that proactiveness and, and scheduling time to actually go, okay, you know, how can I grow? How can I develop? How can I meet the, the demands of today? Um, so I hope more people do that and, and seek out those those. Coaches and mentor, whether they're they're paid programs or whether they're more informal within your own organization, I definitely think it will help people. I guess COVID has changed the way that we're working, and there's a lot of conversations happening at the moment as to you know will remote be around to stay? What will the future of work look like? And um, office spaces and and getting teams back together. How do you think the the world of work has changed
1: i think the the most obvious ones is that the remote work was um, basically forced upon um, all c- companies um, with it coming a, a lack of the perceived control i think and um, so there, there there were a few um, products that monitor employees that suddenly spiked and then People learn. Wait, wait a second. <laughs> Trust is actually one of the foundations of collaboration. So maybe let's dial that down. I do believe/slash hope that remote work um, stays, but not enforced. Not not enforced. Everyone stays home. I think that's not a that's not a solution. I think it should be um, part of a mindset. But then with a the choice for people to build the work they do into their, um, into their life to help with the work-life balance. I've seen countless posts on social media that praise the saving two to three hours commuting per day to spend time with their family, with their kids, take care of themselves by exercising, all that time um, to, to upskilling themselves, using, really making great use um, of that time that they save which is otherwise very often just lost and just stresses you out. You arrive at work stressed out because the, the triple three from, uh, from one night to the city was, uh, was packed and the, everything was, uh, was jammed. So I think there's um, certainly a, a, a big advantage. And uh, what I particularly like is that companies seem to have realized that work still gets done.
0: <laughs> Unthinkable <Yeah.
1: laughs> before the pandemic, but somehow you can trust your people. Great, um, so that will that will um, stay. At the same time, companies um, should not make that mandatory for everyone at every time, because as we as we discussed before, we're social beings. We love to to work together, um, be co-located, co-facilitated, have lunches together, and just escape the house. In, in the, the sometimes uh, because it's a, it's a nice um a nice change
0: it's nice to escape your four walls occasionally i think we all have a much greater appreciation of that now <laughs> for for sure and as i agree i think um you know, we're quite fortunate in that tech space that a lot of companies were already embracing remote work to some extent, or at least work from home days. Other industries probably are a little bit behind that, which they were kind of forced into it. And certainly from the conversations I've been having, I think people do want to retain an element of the remoteness and being able to work from home more frequently. And I'm kind of predicting that we'll have more collaboration days you know potentially pre-COVID people needed a reason to work from home whereas now I think um excuse me it'll be more reasons to go into the office and have these scheduled collaboration days where all teams are together working on initiatives and, and projects and you know that's where I think those um innovation days will come from and that opportunity to really learn from each other so I hope there's a there's a nice middle ground that we come out with. I think that would be the ideal situation.
1: I, I 100% agree and, and how awesome is that? People coming to the office because they want, they want to, it's great there. It's not somewhere you have to go and, and sit for your eight hours plus um, to, yeah, to, to make an appearance, but no, it's something that whenever you go, you want to go. And that that excitement that passion you will bring into your work. you will bring into your projects and it will be reflected in the outcomes um, I believe. So I didn't yeah, agree having, more. having that that um, that balance will be awesome. At the same time I do believe there will be a few struggles with um, with people who are not joining the co-location mm-hmm. um, until a mindset establishes itself that. Even though you're co-located, your mindset should still be remote to provide equity and, and fairness to everyone who is dialing in from um, from potentially all over the world. Um, I think that's that's a skill or an, an organisational um, trait that will develop over the next months slash years as well.
0: Mm, absolutely. So given the changes that are taking place in the way we work and how we show up at work, do you think the way we learn needs to change and and will change?
1: It depends a little bit on how we learn today. So a very broad statement. Um, I'm sure there are many people who who learn well, who who focus on upskilling the situation we're in right now. The changes that are happening right now are not the only driver of that, but they are a catalyst and they, um, they help, Um, making people understand that technology will change the way we work sooner or later. We now got a little bit of an acceleration of probably 10 years of innovation and technology adoption packed into um, a single year, but that, yes, will require a a change of how we think about learning. Um, A little bit going back to what I have alluded to before of understanding learning as part of your everyday job, understanding learning of being able to extract value from the experiences you have by reflecting on them, taking in feedback, and constantly challenging your assumptions, challenging your hypotheses, and adapting if needed. Very similar to basically what we do with our products as product managers. We don't just build it once, put it in the market and then assume that it will go on and and thrive forever it's a constant adoption Um, the as the market changes our products need to change it's a (laughs) continuous experimentation that we manage that's innate so as product managers we i believe have an advantage in making that shift towards a different style of of learning or different understanding of, of learning because we can apply the skills that we have that we now apply to our products and use them to apply to ourselves, to constantly advance, continuously learn the skills that are needed um, based on the market developments on the trends and stay relevant for for the next couple of years, decades, centuries, depending on how health tech is, is doing.
0: <laughs> Absolutely, and I like how you apply that product thinking to to learn in. And you also said to me offline that, um, you know, just like finding and maintaining product market fit for the products that we manage, we need to find and maintain our own product market fit. What do you mean by that?
1: <laughs> the concept of product market fit, um, of course, like the golden... Um, the golden, holy grail of successful products. So what I mean with that, um, applying that same thinking or the principles to ourselves is to understand what does the market need? So the the skills demand and what does the product, in which case um, that would be us, um, which skills do we have? And and that's the, the skills supply. And we need to make sure that the skills we have are the ones that provide the biggest value for the organizations that we um, choose to to work for. And um, that, in in turn, then, is the the market that drives it. These change. So, for for example, um, also a recent study from the World Economic Forum and a few European agencies said that the half-life of skills has significantly decreased to about five years. So there is a very high chance that the skills that we have today are not that relevant anymore in five years. So the market is changing and will continue to change. So if we don't change the product or our own skill set with it, then we will um, we will have struggles to stay relevant. We will fall behind. So finding product market fit for our product is constantly um, being on our toes to understand what needs to and what needs to change. What? provides value to our customers and at the same time we need to think about our own skill sets less about collecting certifications um, just want to bring that out there as well but more being able to demonstrate how we use the skills that are in demand to deliver value to the causes that we sign up for Um, and that's yeah, an, an ongoing approach that um, ties back to the lifelong learning, because I don't think that will um, that will stop again in our lifetime.
0: I love that. And I love how we can apply product thinking to to ourselves. And, and you touched on it um, briefly earlier when you said about the soft skills that, that we need to be looking at, and, and you touched on emotional intelligence and, and a few others. What do you think product folks should be focusing on at the moment, if the skills that we have at the moment are, aren't going to be as relevant in say five years. What should we be starting to think about?
1: I think a good start to think about is assessing the, the soft skills, the most transferable ones. Because if we are um, demonstrating or if we're skilled in active learning, if we're curious about new things, if we um are really out there trying to understand what is needed to adapt to whatever the the world in five years will look like or in 10 years i think that's what everyone should start focusing on because it's the it's the fundamental baseline to adapt to any situation because no one knows which skills will be necessary in five years again there there are estimates and, and predictions of the the top ones which by the way are very much aligned to the to the soft skills around problem solving around <laughs> emotional intelligence leadership so I think you, you cannot go wrong with that and then additionally to that um, looking at our technical skills and, and technical and digital skills. Understanding what are the, the baseline digital skills that are um, expected. I don't see that as a, as a big thing for, for product managers, assuming that there's a lot of software product managers who are what, we're, we're digital as part of our, our job description. Um, but thinking about the technologies that we intend or our organizations intend to adopt within the next, say, three to five years and then starting to break down these into skills and starting to build some foundational knowledges, finding some projects that you, you can work on to really put that knowledge then into practice and then reflect, again, creating your own experiences. Um, if it's if it's not as a part of your work yet, or if you are um, out of work at the moment, that doesn't mean that you cannot create experiences where you can apply new knowledge um, new skills and reflect on these again to to see um, how how you develop.
0: Absolutely, and even if I think back to my own experience of launching the product edge, and um, this year you go going through that process, I put my product management hat on and thought about the personas and you know building the website, and and I learned so much and and taking the time to actually reflect on building. This podcast and and creating it and the content and everything that goes along with that, again, it comes back to those soft skills and, and looking at how you do leadership and how you approach tough situations and how you show up with the people that you're working with every day. You don't have to go on a formal training course to and get accreditation, as you mentioned, to to develop those skills. It is through those experiences and making mistakes, and perhaps you know getting frustrated when things aren't going your way as quickly as you want it, and and learning how to manage those emotions so you show up as a better team player next time.
1: Absolutely, and to me, um, very much as you said, you don't don't do a formal accreditation or, or formal certification because you want to have the skill or you want to, you, you kind of feel like, okay, then I'm, I'm an expert or a master of that skill. I would say it, it's more a, a, a ticket to play. Like with those, with those formal um, courses, they are very important, I think, as part of the, of the overall um, learning uh, journey that you go through. And it's the um, we call it the 70, twenty, ten model, or any other um, description where ten percent of your entire learning is um, is these these classroom experiences, certifications, um, but it's a critical ten percent because it's also a, a an uphill battle if you don't go through the foundational knowledge, if you don't understand how all the concepts play together. And um, if I think about the the Brain mates Essentials for, for Product Managers course, um, I, I think it's, it's foundational and really accelerates your ability to not only become better at your job, but to do exactly that reflection, bringing all the different messy things in product management together and providing a, a view of how it all connects. And then you take this knowledge um, into your work, back into your work and apply it. And then it's your initiative and your curiosity and critical thinking about how something plays out. You've learned something in the classroom, you try to deploy it in your work, and suddenly it doesn't work as in the textbook. That's expected. And instead of getting frustrated by that, changing your mindset to expecting that, yep, most of the things that I've learned in a classroom... Will turn out a little bit different because they need to be adapted to the context and the environment and your colleagues and the um, and, and the culture that you're working. So that is the the the, the missing bit often that I want to yeah avoid um, seeing too, too many people um, do the mistake.
0: Absolutely, and I love that. Uh that phrase, a ticket to play, because I think about, yeah, what you just said there, going to a classroom and doing the learning is absolutely critical because it does give you the knowledge. But if I think about leadership, you know, there's no amount of textbooks or courses or accreditations are, you know, going to help you deal with every situation, every person you manage, every team you're leading is so different. And you're constantly being challenged. You're like, oh, that's not the way I thought that was going to turn out. So I think that ticket to play is a great one, but it's the experience and reflecting on every experience is ultimately how we become those active learners. So I love that. So look, Phil, one of the last questions that I wanted to to ask you is around career development. And it's a question that I get quite frequently when I'm talking to product folk um, about their careers. And I see that a lot of people unintentionally leave their career progression in the hands of their managers or, or somebody else. Have you have you seen that? Do you think that could be the case?
1: Certainly, yes. Um, if you look at the at the numbers, and I don't know if it's necessarily unintentionally, okay. But there there is, I think, a sentiment of um, a large portion of people who think it's just the job of the organization to make sure that I develop it's also one of the of the best ways to increase retention for organization to make sure you actually do um, see yourself as yeah as, as a catalyst for career development um, that that you help your employees and your staff to go through there's also a a mismatch, I think, in those expectations where HR departments, and then you probably know that um, from, from your everyday work as well, who who ask for more initiative from the employees. Take, take initiative in your career development. We will support you. Um, that can have many um, reasons, one of which certainly is that problem and the challenge to not entirely know or, or have full visibility on what skills do our workforce or does our workforce have and what skills will be required in the future. So that's a that's a challenging topic. It um, is. The same counts for the employees though. So I, I think when, when you're faced with uncertainty of what is the right skill to develop next, mm-hmm. you look to your manager to, um, to help you with that. But if your manager has the same issue, then that is a, a yeah a missed opportunity um so i think first of all it's a collaboration between managers and employees managers i think in general will change um, over the or will continue to change the role of a manager will continue to change more and more away from this command and control style and more towards a leadership style and coaching team members to become better every day um, to become better at their jobs, by helping them to upskill um, in, while working in the flow of work. And once that relationship is formed in that way, I think it's uh, the, the the mismatch between leaving it in someone else's hands um, will resolve itself. I wouldn't um, suggest anyone... To solely rely on that, because the, the there is passion that you can follow, this curiosity, exploring things that have nothing to do with your job. Yes, and I, I'm I'm upskilling on on space um, space mining or asteroid mining because I think it's it's awesome and want to understand. But you will always learn something that you can bring back. Um, and even if it's just a cool story to share with your with your colleagues during a during a catch up, but the yeah leaving it to the manager, I think the managers also need to be enabled. And it's not easy to come up with a career pathway um, for everyone that you manage. So it needs to be a two way two way street and a conversation, um, which I think will uh, will turn out to be a very powerful relationship if built um, correctly or, or at all. And then dealing with the with a problem as well when you leave it to your manager or your organization and you are faced with a mindset of basically the avoidance of focusing on upskilling because of the fear that you will leave. I've seen that a lot as well. What if what what if we train them up and, and invest in, in career development and then they just leave for someone else. And then yes. They, I, and you probably know the, the standard answer, oh, what, what if you don't and they What stay? if they
0: stay? <laughs>
1: <laughs> Which I actually don't really believe is the right thing to, to ask. Mm-hmm. I would say what it will happen anyway. So if you, as an organisation, want to survive, you need to be able to adapt. Um, technological change will I- increase and accelerate. So you need people to develop the new skills that you will need, but you don't necessarily have right now. So th- you have a few options. You, you can um, outsource to freelancers. You can hire new talent, or you can upskill your, your own talent. And... I think there will be a healthy mix that makes sense from a business point of view. It's not possible, in my opinion, to have a viable talent strategy that doesn't also focus on upskilling your workforce because then you churn so much institutional knowledge that is too, too expensive. It doesn't make sense from a business point of view. And I think more and more organizations over the coming years will, will realize that and shift their talent strategies towards a mix, a good mix of, of freelancers and outsourcing and new talent that you want to bring in with fresh ideas, but also enabling your workforce to be more mobile and to, uh, to shape the, the trajectory of your organization from within.
0: I love that. Love it so much. Phil, it's been absolutely amazing talking to you today. Thank you for sharing so many insights with us. How can we stay connected with you going forward? First
1: of all, thank you so much for having me. I, I really enjoyed the conversation as well. Um, please stay connected on LinkedIn. You can find me there um, on Twitter as well, um, my website, philiplofenberg.com, or um, reach out via. By- Uh, Um, many channels to reach me Um, looking forward to connecting with many of the listeners
0: fantastic and we will um, include all of those uh, links and uh, websites in our show notes so people can find you easily and lastly what would be one piece of advice you had for product managers
1: the one piece of advice become an active learner Understand the ch- if you don't have it yet, change your mindset to see every experience that you have as an opportunity to learn and to build your own skill set to find your product market um, in the future of work and the next um, decades of your career.
0: I love it. Keep it simple. Use your product knowledge and um, on yourself essentially. Fantastic. So, Phil, you've been great. Thank you so much. Have a good evening.
1: Thank you very much. You enjoy the rest of your day. And um, yeah, thanks for having me.
0: Thank you for listening to The Product Edge brought to you by Middleton Executive. You can head to theproductedge.com.au to subscribe to Australia's number one podcast for all things product management. I would love for you to subscribe, rate and leave us a review. Until next time, I look forward to introducing you to more product leaders, entrepreneurs, creators, and hustlers, who will share their insights and experiences to help you level up and reach your full potential.